0: This is officially the last message for my Revelation series. It was supposed to be Revelation uh, chapters 1 to 3, but because we're having such a good time, that I thought we would extend it by a couple of chapters. And so, it is. Uh, we are on chapter 5. And I want to just... Uh, last Sunday in Revelation chapter 4, we looked at uh, Paul, uh, John... The, the Apostle John, like he's 90-some years old on the island of Patmos, and he gets this, this experience where he sees Jesus, and he has a message to seven churches, and then at the end of that message to the seven churches, and then it's Jesus calls him up, says, come up here come up and and in the spirit this door opens up in the heavens and he goes up in the spirit and he enters the throne room of God and that's where we entered uh, that's what we saw last Sunday this Sunday we continue that uh, and and so starting at verse 1 of chapter 5 and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the outside sealed with seven seals then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept much. I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him, who lives forever and ever. Well, I've divided this up into four parts. The scroll, the slain, the song, and the spontaneous. The first word in chapter 5 is and. In some translation, it's then. Now, this means that it's connected to chapter 4. Chapter 4 and 5 are together. It's all one experience in the throne room of God. Uh, Not necessarily the same subject, but it is in chronological order. And so then, this is what happened, what we read here in chapter 5. John describes what he saw in chapter 4, and then more is revealed to him. It doesn't happen all at once. The fact that God doesn't dump it on all, dump everything all at once just tells me that we serve a God that knows our limitations. If John had seen everything all at the same time, I don't think he could have handled it. Perhaps some of you have seen the movie A Few Good Men. And there it is. It was directed by... Rob Rayner. in the movie a soldier has died and Lieutenant Daniel Caffey played by Tom Cruise thinks that Colonel Jessup Jack Nicholson has something to do with the death of this soldier and so in a heated courtroom interrogation Caffer says he wants the truth and you know what you can't can't handle the truth He then launches into a monologue that no one really remembers. (laughs) Because that line, and as a matter of fact, that line wasn't in the script. The the line was something else to do with the truth. Something about you know the truth already or something like that. But Jack Nicholson in the moment just changed it and it's been remembered ever since. We serve a God who knows our limitations. We can't handle it all at the same time. We can't handle the truth. John couldn't handle everything in the throne room that was to come. He just couldn't. And so God understands our weaknesses. Do you remember this when Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had uh, resurrected from the dead? And he appears in the midst of them But Thomas was missing. He wasn't there. And they were telling Thomas, 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 we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And they're so excited. And Thomas says, unless I see his scars on his hands, the nail prints, and unless I can put my hand into the wound of his side, I'm not going to believe. Right? And what did Jesus say when he saw Thomas later? Hey, Thomas, come. Check check this out. Put your hand into my wound, right? What is Thomas's response? Was my Lord and my God, All right? And then Jesus said, "Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." God knows our limitations. God knows our limitations. The second thing is that God keeps some things hidden, actually. We aren't supposed to know everything. As a matter of fact, if we knew everything, we would be like God, right? That's the truth. If, and, um, and isn't it kind of what got mankind into trouble in the first place? Hey, you could... God is keeping this from you. God is holding something from you, this knowledge of good and evil. God's hold, keeping that back from you. You know, um, that's the temptation. Deuteronomy 29, 29 declares, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the works of this law. If you're struggling with what's hidden from you, right because we don't know everything and some people struggle they want to know more right if you're struggling there's three things to remember number one god reveals more truth when we respond rightly to what he's already revealed and so if you're not responding rightly to what god has already revealed don't expect god to reveal any more for you right you need to you need to receive what god has already revealed Second, knowledge isn't the goal. It it doesn't help us to become more knowledgeable. But obedience is the goal. And third, if God doesn't reveal it, we don't need to know it. Amen? Amen. The Bible says that he withholds no good thing from those who walk with integrity And so you can be sure if God hasn't revealed it to us, then we don't really need to know it. So back to the throne room. John hasn't been uh, here uh, before, so God is kind of easy on him, uh, revealing what he can handle a bit at a time. It's also for our benefit, so that it would make sense to us. Now, John hasn't seen it before, but we... uh, But he'd read about God's throne room because Ezekiel and Isaiah had seen it, right? So God's throne room had been seen before and it had been recorded. And so that's, that. but the timing is different. You see, when Ezekiel and Isaiah saw God's throne room, Jesus hadn't died yet. That's a big difference. The timing is huge. And, and so it absolutely makes sense that John would see more in this environment at this time because Jesus had died and risen from the dead and had ascended up to the Father, right? So John was going to see more of, of the, because the new covenant was now in place, replacing the old covenant. Now John notices the scroll in the hand of the Father, and it's in his right hand. And the right hand, you know what that signifies, right? The right hand always signifies strength and favor. Do you remember the first Christian martyr? His name was Stephen. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He gazed up into heaven as they were throwing rocks at him. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The right hand of God. Now, what is this scroll? Why does it have writing on the outside and on the inside? Why seven seals? At the end of Daniel, God reveals that the people of Israel will go through this, a great tribulation. Just, it was going to be extreme. Daniel asked, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And he's told a time and times and half a time, which is three and a half years, we know that. At this point, Daniel admits that he's heard what was told to him, but he doesn't understand it. And again, this is one of those things that if if you don't understand, if it's not given to you, you don't need to know it. And this is the, the angel of the Lord tells him directly, that he didn't need, and this is what the angel of the Lord says Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Could this be the scroll that Jesus is opening? That was sealed up, it was already written, it was sealed up until the end, and now Jesus is ready to take it and ready to reveal it. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals, says a strong angel. It's only one short question. But if we read between the lines of this, then you might imagine the great search that took place. Can you imagine that? Who is worthy? And they're looking. They're looking everywhere. God's angels are dispatched. Their task is to find somebody worthy, anyone, anyone able to take the scroll and open it. Who would we seek? Who would we ask? when would would it be the educated would it be the visionary maybe a political leader maybe a peacemaker maybe a charismatic person even reaching back into the past to find a man of great wisdom maybe solomon and then we remember solomon had a lot of concubines and wives and then well, that idea disappears pretty fast no he's not worthy who is worthy and the angels are dispatched and they come back. There's no one. We can't find anybody. Why is no one found that's worthy? Because there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans three ten to 12. No one. No one is worthy. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. Followed. And and that is Romans 3. Followed by Romans 3.23. Which says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we are in trouble. Because none of us are worthy. We're all sinners. And we're surrounded by sinners. John weeps. And this is one of those things you're kind of wondering didn't didn't John spend three years with jesus didn't john wasn't like they weren't they besties the one that Jesus loved John says of himself all the time didn't John know why does he weep because no one has been found worthy, but why he hasn't been hasn't he been telling others about Jesus that there's only hope in one and that's Jesus hasn't he been didn't he see Jesus transfigured didn't he see Jesus rise from the dead doesn't he know that Jesus is worthy doesn't he know that Jesus is even now going to bat for us in the throne room of heaven isn't that what John knew and yet at this moment John is weeping. There's really incredible insight into the condition of mankind here. We are absolutely hopelessly lost without the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there's more, though. I think there's more to it. He's weeping maybe specifically over this scroll with its seven seals. Maybe. Does John know what's in that scroll? Does he know what's in it? Because once it's opened, when we read further on in chapter 6, once it opened, God's judgment is poured out. That's what's in the scroll. The seals are open one at a time, and then the trumpets sound, and you see the wrath of God being poured out, as Jesus called it, the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test all who dwell on the earth towards the end of the book of Revelation we read these glorious words the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever so when the seventh seal is open we hear the seventh trumpets Okay, so after the seven seals the seventh seal is seven trumpets And so then the trumpet sound. And the seventh trumpet, that's when that announcement is made. That the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. That is the the announcement that our Lord and his Messiah will reign after all of these things. With that in mind, let's try to make sense of the scroll and the seven seals. And I think it's important. I think it makes sense. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, warned Israel that judgment was coming. He pleads with them to repent and turn to God. He also warned them that they would go into captivity for 70 years and then later come back, they would return to the land. He tells them this, right? Now, Jeremiah knew and sensed the judgment of God, but he was also sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to understand the goodness of God. That God would restore to Israel the land, and by God's grace, they would return. That's what God had told him. And so, to illustrate that, he did a strange thing. He bought some land. The deed details were written on a scroll. Once the scroll was witnessed and sealed, he had it hidden for the duration of the years of captivity. Now, in those days, they, writ- they wrote the same thing on two scrolls. And one was hidden away and one was kept. Right? And, and so later, his relatives could prove that the land was theirs and that they were worthy to open this sealed scroll and claim what was theirs right? Now, this is Jeremiah 32, 9-12. to And so I bought a field uh, from my cousin and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions as well as the unsealed copy. So one of those copies is sealed. Right? And gave these this deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of another guy, in the presence of my cousin, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard, the witnesses would have sealed it they each would have had their own seal, and they would have it would have been they would have poured wax on the on where, where it uh, closed, or on strings, there's a couple of different ways you can do that, and, and then they would have sealed it and, it would, and so he, then he told his secretary, Barak, to place the sealed scroll in an earthen jar and preserve it for his heirs. Now Jeremiah didn't live long enough to come back and receive his land that he had bought, but his relatives did. They knew that Jeremiah had bought something. And when they came back, they went back to the authorities and based on the fact that they were related, related to Jeremiah, proved themselves worthy to open the seals, open the scroll, and to receive their inheritance. They were verified as legal owners of the property. Now, just as Jeremiah purchased the field and it became the legal property of Jeremiah and his heirs, even so Jesus has purchased the earth with his own blood. He has purchased us and is worthy to unseal the scroll and to reclaim what was once God's, but had been taken away, had been stolen, had been forfeited. No wonder one of the elders told John that he didn't have to weep. There's something good coming. It's something to celebrate. You don't have to cry. Well, let's look at the slain. John was still living in Friday, but it was Sunday. You know what I mean? Friday, Jesus had died. The disciples thought all was lost. They were sad. They were crying. They were in despair. John was still living in Friday, but it was Sunday. Jesus had risen from the dead. Friday is for crying. Sunday is for celebration. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed. With this title, the elder is telling John some, uh, in no uncertain terms that the Lamb is worthy to open the seal, to open that scroll. Well, let's look at these words. The lion, why do you see so many crests and emblems with lions on them? Coat of arms. Lions are the king of the jungle, jungle the top of the food chain. You don't mess with a lion. And so Jesus is the lion of Judah. Now Judah, the family of Judah was the ruling clan of Israel. And so with the lion, you have power, and with the family, you have of Judah you have authority and so there's power and authority the line of Judah and then the root of David the fact that Jesus is from the lineage of David is important because God promised David an eternal kingdom your house and your kingdom will endure forever and uh, before me your throne will be established forever Second Samuel 7 now let's look at what John saw in the midst the, this lamb as it had been was in the midst, right? Greek word meso, which means right in the very center. The Lamb of God is right in the very center of heaven's throne room. Isn't this phrase the very essence of our Christian faith? And Jesus at the center. He has to be. It's not it's not our works. It's not angels. It's not anything else but Jesus at the center, even the Holy Spirit. Points to Jesus. Jesus at the center. If Jesus is not at the center, then we're in trouble. Jesus at the—he's at the very center of Scripture. The pre-incarnate Christ was in the midst of the fiery, fiery furnace when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in there to be burned. They didn't burn because Jesus was right at the center. Jesus was in the midst of the boat when the boat was in the midst of the storm. We can count on Jesus being there with us in our storms. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there am I in the midst. In the midst, in the center of us. So that's the first thing. In the midst, right in the center of the throne room of heaven, there was the Lamb. Jesus at the center. The Lamb, as though it had been slain. Now what does John see here? A bloodied Lamb? evidence of a sacrifice, scars. I'm convinced that for those of us who will enter heaven, we will see Jesus with scars on his body. We will see those scars. We will see the price that Jesus paid for our freedom. We could not save ourselves. The blood of a thousand sacrifices can't save anybody. Listen to Hebrews 10, 5-7. Since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I might offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. And so I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and do your will to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. Jesus volunteered to be that sacrifice, a lamb as though it had been slain. And then this lamb is described with seven horns. A horn in scripture represents power and authority. Here's an example. Then I looked up and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. That's Zechariah 1.18. There were four powers that scattered the people of Israel. And so that was authority and power. Seven horns represent perfect and complete authority. How does the Great Commission start? All authority is given to me, Jesus said, and I'm giving it to you, and I'm sending you out with that authority, right? So uh, seven uh, horns is authority. Seven eyes. Seven eyes. We don't have to guess what the seven eyes stand for because we're told. They represent the seven spirits, which, as we talked about before, represents the Holy Spirit in his fullness. And and notice that the seven eyes are sent out into all the earth. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit? So part of the Holy Spirit's job, according to Jesus, is to gather evidence for the judgment to come. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job. Listen what Jesus said. And when he comes, He will con- that's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was going to send the Comforter. You won't remain alone. When I leave, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. And when he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because they do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world has been condemned. And that's uh, John 16, 8 to 11. And so then, let's look at, then we move on to this song. Now this isn't just any old song. This is a new song. And the song is a result of the Lamb of God taking the scroll. And this song comes out, right? All of creation has been waiting for this moment, for the Lamb to take the scroll. Paul told us that all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And the elders are described as holding harps and bowls full of incense. David was introduced to King Saul. Remember why? because he was a skilled harpist he could play the harp and king saul the spirit had kind of left him because he was disobedient and so he was always he was getting bothered all the time he was really disturbed but when david played the harp in his presence then the, he would become calm and he would and he would feel much better right and so David, that's how he was introduced to David. He would feel refreshed by David's harp playing. Now, I don't know what 24 skilled harpists would sound like. I, you know, the harp, is a, it's a, not a bad instrument. I have no idea what it might sound like, but I think it would sound quite amazing with the skilled people that are able to play the harp. Besides harps, there were golden bowls. Have you ever felt that your prayers have remained unanswered? that they're just hitting the ceiling? You ever feel that way? It's not true. God's not ignoring you. As a matter of fact, right here it says that these bowls of incense, they're the prayers of the saints. And so God collects your prayers. Even now, this morning when we're praying, God is collecting those, and he's saving them and 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 yet and and god did not forget he doesn't forget as we pray we are touching heaven it is really amazing when you think about it this imagery you can't take anything with you but you can you can send something up ahead you can send your prayers this verse tells me that we can send our prayers ahead why do we neglect prayer so much the saints those who trust in jesus and his gift of salvation have been praying as jesus taught them maybe thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and here it is jesus is ready to take the scroll and receive the kingdom and is that what the saints have been praying for and whatever the saints have been praying for now that this title is going to be given to Jesus this land title the earth is going to be, belong to Jesus the kingdom is given to Jesus God's will is going to be done on the earth as it is in heaven and our prayers will fill heaven's throne room with a sweet aroma what an amazing picture what an amazing God we serve our prayers the aroma of the throne room that is an amazing picture Why wouldn't we pray? Last Sunday I asked a question as to what we might do in heaven. The last verse in the new song says that you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and we shall reign on the earth. That just might give us a bit of an insight as to what we'll do in heaven. We'll be a kingdom of priests to serve God and that would be the highest honor in the universe serving our living God. Of course, the serving includes the responsibility of overseeing, that is, reigning on God's brand new, perfect, recreated world. We will reign with Christ. Now, there are three reasons given in the new song as to why the lamb is worthy to open the scroll. First of all, he was slain. This is, of course, a reference to Jesus' death. If we trust Jesus and his substitutionary sacrifice, then we don't have to fear death. Death is nothing, it's just actually a graduation ceremony into the next world. He redeemed us. Second, he redeemed us to God by his blood. Now, by our own rebellion, we sold ourselves to sin. This is a debt that we could not pay. I've mentioned many times that the idea that that God would require blood to purchase our freedom, and that's found in the first chapter of the Bible. You remember that? Or the first chapters, the first three chapters. It says when man sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God came walking in the garden, what did they do because of their sin? They went and hid from the presence of God. Why? Because all of a sudden they knew they were naked. And what did they do after that? They covered themselves with, with fig leaves. Right? They were covering their nakedness. And that was only a covering. And fig leaves are never going to take care of sin. Can't do it. But what did God do for them? God clothed them with animal skins. Do you know what? That means that an innocent animal had to die blood had to be spilled for the forgiveness and that was only a covering and guess what it pointed to Jesus Jesus was going to the innocent dying for the guilty and then later on when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt what did God ask them to do take an innocent lamb one that's perfect one that has no blemish sacrifice that lamb take the blood and put it at the entrance of your door splash it on there and when I see the blood I will pass over the angel of death will pass over that is life for us and that was pointing to Jesus and when God sees the blood he will, then we have life because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of his shed blood. He redeemed us to God by his blood. You know, um, Abraham also took his son, Isaac and took him to the same place where Jesus died his own his, his, the son of his inheritance the son in which God was going to bless the entire world through him and then God and when they got up there and Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son God said don't do it and there was a a ram caught in a thicket and they were again but it was blood and what did Abraham say when his son asked well I see the wood and I see the fire and I see all this stuff but, but where is where's the sacrifice and Abraham and I think it has to be faith that said God will provide a lamb Jesus again Jesus Out of every tribe and tongue, this is number three, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, God is an inclusive God. Right? He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Does that mean that everybody will be saved? No. Sadly, no. We're not robots. We must choose Jesus. We must choose to put the blood on our doorposts right we must choose and then and so there's so there's that that new song and it's it's a great song and it's a beautiful song and then there's a spontaneous gathering of thousands of thousands an unimaginable number that join in to this song You know, I've been to a few large gatherings. In Edmonton last week, there was 500 of us men singing and standing and worshiping. And it was so moving, 500 of us just raising our voices. It didn't matter if we're out of tune. It didn't matter. We just were singing our hearts out and just lifting our voices to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It was beautiful. I've been to Breakforth where there's been 12,000 of us in Edmonton. I remember Tim Hughes was leading one time and he was, how great is our God? And we were singing our hearts out. Every, I mean, it was just thundering in there. And then the music stopped and everything got quiet. And you could have heard a pin drop. There were 12,000 people in there and you heard absolutely nothing. It, it, was, it was like it was so surreal. It's just, and then he started How Great Thou Art. No music. 12,000 people lifting up the name of Jesus. Just worship. I've been to south of Chicago, to Urbana, in a stadium. An enclosed stadium with 30,000 other Christians. And I got there late. I had to sit in the middle. Oh, that wasn't a bad thing. (laughs) Surrounded by 30,000 people, lifting our voices and praising God. I've been to Promise Keepers in Boulder, Colorado, where there's 50,000 in an outdoor stadium. And again, we got there a little bit late and had to sit down in the middle. Not a bad thing. Surrounded by 50,000 men. 50,000 men lifting their voices and praising God. These moments in this mortal body are so precious, and yet they will pale compared with what we will see in God's throne room and what we will experience there. Because what I read is that, is that can you imagine the, the, the lamb taking the scroll and the, the creatures and the elders sing this new song and then all of a sudden, as the lamb is, grabs, the thro- grabs the scroll, and then all of creation breaks into song. All of creation. I mean, the whales and, and, and the coyotes and the dogs, they won't shut up. I don't know what the cats, how they would sound like praising the Lord. But you've got birds and... I mean, all we've got stars and galaxies and the saints from all the ages, heaven will shake. And then an eerie silence. Not like the silence I experienced after how great is Thou, God. Not like that silence, but an eerie silence. Because the Lamb is going to open the first seal. In the eerie silence that lasts what seems like an eternity, maybe. And then the first seal. And then God's wrath begins to pour out on the world that rejected him. Let me ask you a question. Whose side are you on? Do you know Jesus? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, um, what a picture! And Jesus, you will take that scroll. You will take what is rightfully yours. And we're going to be, and we want to be a part of that. And so we pray that your kingdom come and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not worthy, but Jesus, when we put on you, when we put on your righteousness, you make us worthy. It's the only way. Seal that in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Please join with me for this last song. Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. Give your all to Jesus. There is freedom. is free.
0: Well, I just want to remind everybody that if, um, if, you, if you want to pray, you don't have to wait. You didn't come up to the front. We will pray for any concern, and that would be awesome. Here's this benediction for this morning. To God the Father who loved us and made us accepted in the Beloved. To God, the Son, who loved us and loosed us from our sins by his own blood. To God, the Holy Spirit, who spreads the love of God abroad in our hearts. To the one true God, be all glory and all honor for now and for all eternity. Amen. Amen. God bless you Ritzley.